Hey everybody, it's me, D.B. Spitzer, producer of Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. For those of you that are new to the show or new to podcasts in general, let me catch you up. There's this guy named Dave. He lived in California. He got divorced and work fired him, blah, blah, blah. My life sucks. Then his pseudo-uncle died and left him a goat farm in Oregon. Having nothing else, goes on and moves out to Orleander, Oregon. Works on the goat farm after a couple of years, sees goats walking through walls, and that led him to a secret abandoned Illuminati base. He then decided to use said base to launch a podcast. He contacts me, and I began to produce it. And then he starts missing deadlines, pretty much how our relationship works. I get that it can't be easy to run a working dairy farm, but Dave never met a deadline he didn't miss like a stormtrooper at target practice. He's even busier now that uh, he's giving free tours of Portland. More about that at the end of the show. So anyway, I had to crack the whip on him, and he's supposed to be recording a show right now, so uh, let's eavesdrop on him. Hey everybody, this is Dave, and uh, hey, got some time, I'm working on, uh, uh, you know, the Underground Shenanigans podcast, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about a guilty pleasure. We are going to be talking about the guiltiest of guilty, and the most pleasurable of pleasures. That is the Helen Hecate novels. Uh, You may or may not know, this is a series of thrillers uh, written about a female spy covert op as opposed to a a spy in the same way that Laura Croft's really not an archaeologist because both of them's solution to uh, issues especially supernatural is to shoot it dead. Now the creator of Helen Hecate is given the credit as Guy January. And I think Guy's fictitious, to be honest. Um, I don't think there is a Guy January. I think it's fictitious. I think I think it's a house name where there's a... We're, we're what? We're up to 23 of these things now. And not one of them... The style of the writing is completely different each one. So I really think that, you know, they got 23 different people to write you know, each of these stories. So uh, from the very first one that came out, uh, late 90s sometime, so they're pretty much one a year. I mean, they're, they're pretty spot on. Um, the first one was uh, The Devil Dame of Detroit. And, and I mean, so we've got the new one. Um, and I've said, you know, I love, my favorite subgenre is, you know, Hot women in cat suits shooting supernatural evils on the cover. I mean, and that's exactly what this is. So uh, we're here. I've got the 23rd Helen Hecate uh, novel, The Bangkok Banshee. Um, so, you know, I have not read it yet. It's just fresh off the press. Uh, so let me go ahead. Um, unless, like I said, you're watching this with a mobile CR16 psionic vision device. You know, you can't see this, but you know, you can just go to your bookstore. You can, I'm sure it'll be on the cover. I mean, uh, the book will be on, you know, the the counter soon. So um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read from the beginning, just the first page 
of Bangkok Banshee, a Helen Hecate novel, number 23, by Guy January, published by Pothole Press. <coughs> the air in the Bangkok night, hot, sultry, and lethal, just like Helen Hecate's body. Okay, that's the first sentence. She moved through the crowd of the bar like an eel going through soft coral. Do eels go through soft coral? Okay. Um, just, with an amazing self-confidence, she came up to the beautiful part Asian, part Inuit, part Asian, part Inuit. See, that's the thing, no matter who they get to write, you know, as Guy January, you know, he always has, he, she, whoever, the pen name, always has these like way out bizarre sort of combination background characters. And then they'll go into this big old detail and, and then we'll never see the character again. Whiskey, Helen demanded in her husky voice and threw a wad of Thai currency, the amount that the bartender probably made in one night. That's another thing about Guy January. Doesn't do any research. Doesn't. I don't know what the Thai currency is. Buat, I think, maybe something like that. But you know, if I was writing a novel that took place in Bangkok, I'd find out. Pretty woman don't have to pay for her own drinks, said the bartender in a hushed voice that somehow clearly penetrated the noise of the crowd around them. I'm looking for Mademoiselle Bakinikil, Helen said in a, you know, I just can't do the Helen Hecate voice. You know, I really ought to get Pinky to do it, but, you know, she would just, she just makes fun of it. She... She hates these books, and, you know, I get it. But, um, okay, so, uh, where was I? Okay, so, H Helen is asking for the location of her arch nemesis, Mademoiselle Bikini Kill. And the female bartender replies, It's a shame. You have a nice body. I'd hate to see what an evil woman like her would do to it. Helen shot the other woman a smile that made her feel like a prom queen on like a prom queen on the night of the prom okay awkward sentence but yeah it's classic guy january okay let's see what helen uh what comes next to helen helen's eyes broke from the other woman's just in time to look in the mirror behind the bar and see the man approaching her with a large knife. She began to twist, pulling her glock. Uh, hello? Hi. Can I help you? Hi. Uh, those of you that are listening to this right now, uh, you can't see this, but I'm putting the book down. Um, there's a man here. And uh, I'm going to use that term lightly. I think he is a spirit 
and the fact that I can see through him. Um, he is black and white and gray. He he's wearing a Harlequin costume, you know, like like kind of like a jester, not Harley Quinn like the Joker's girlfriend, but like a like a, a Harlequin from the, the you know the Renaissance ages. But his his costume and everything's black and white with some gray. There's no color. And I look at his feet, and he has no feet. It's just sort of smoke. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go out on the limb and say, this is a spirit of some kind. Okay, and it's beckoning me with his finger. You know, it's saying, come here. I'm getting up. And it just walked through a wall. Okay, I am going outside of my Dave cave and into the hallway. <laughs> And look, it's it's here. It's still there. It it is walking, and I am following it. Uh, it has no feet. Uh, I, of course, am wearing these special booties that were designed not to cause electrostatic or uh, psychic charges uh, in this Illuminati lab that I'm in. Um, so you can't hear my footsteps, but it's just floating. Um, okay. Uh, hi. Hi, my name's Dave. Hi, do you have a name? Uh, Spirit? Can I call you Spirit? Um, hello? Um, hey, what do you think about the weather? Okay, those of you who are just tuning in now... Uh, there is a strange spirit uh, dressed as a harlequin I am attempting to make small talk with as it goes down the stairs. Hey, um, how do you like that sports? Yeah, I'm not a sports person either. Hey, are you bummed out, um, you know, because Netflix isn't going to do Daybreak Season 2? I am. There's a new, uh, there's a new uh, chicken shawarma uh, food cart on 10th in downtown Portland. Okay, uh, it's just walking down the stairs, and now it's it's getting out. We've got about three floors below the Dave Cave, which is you know where I, I do my recording. I've got my uh, mobile recorder with me. Okay, I'm walking. It's walking, uh, and it just walked through a wall. Okay, I'm standing out in the hallway, just, you know, I just, I can't believe some of the stuff that happens. And its arm just came through the wall, and its finger is beckoning me to come. Okay, so there's a door here. It's a huge door. It looks like like a castle door or a dungeon door. I mean, it looks like it would need like a key to the city type, I mean, a key to the size, you know, the key of the city to get in. Uh, okay, I'm going to try to open it. it. It's unlocked. It opens. Okay, I am inside this room. And the door just slammed shut. And I'm locked in. Hey, hey, is anybody here? Anybody here outside? Uh, no. Okay, I'm, um, all right, let me look around. So it, it doesn't look like a room. It looks almost like a cave here. Uh, you know, it's 
there's there's torches on the wall there's uh, stalactites and there's stalagmites um, just the, the door is locked here I don't see any other door now I, I'm walking I'm walking into the middle of the cave and I see see a it's I don't know it's kind of like a, a an altar maybe I don't know so it's made out of polished rock I don't see any writing on it but it's got it's got um, something shiny on it okay this is a, a key it's a, a silver key you know ah, you know what I bet this is the key to that door looks like pure silver so okay let me go ahead I'm gonna get myself out of here and okay it, it, it's it's glowing it, it's making a noise now you know it, it, it's getting brighter and brighter and and, and, and it's glowing and, and I and, and, ah! well isn't it just like Dave getting sucked off into another dimension and using it as an excuse to miss another deadline well the good news is is we have the creator of a brand new tabletop role-playing game Scott recorded talking about uh, his new ultimate end-of-the-world game, Maximum Apocalypse, and uh, some of Dave's thoughts uh, on the game, too. I guess the easiest and best way to start talking about Maximum Apocalypse role-playing game is to first ask that proverbial question, like, what is Maximum Apocalypse, the role-playing game? Well, it's a D100 post-apocalyptic tabletop role-playing game based on a board game of the same name that seeks us to immerse players into an environment where all of the conceivable apocalypse scenarios have happened, where there are aliens invaded, uh, there's been a nuclear holocaust, the zombie apocalypse has begun, there are killer robots everywhere, giant kaiju have smashed cities, the world itself has turned upside down or turned inside out even. Um, it's just a big ball of every conceivable apocalypse sort of happening in the same place. And it focuses on the core survival actions that players might need to do, like scavenging, eating, living in general, uh, dealing with like enemies. Um, it's the kind of world where you'd you'd imagine from that would exist if every one of your favorite um, post-apocalyptic movies or books or video games or whatever are all they've all happened. And so it's a world where they have all happened, and therefore you're. Uh, the characters are players are playing uh, the role of survivors who've banded together in this post-apocalyptic wasteland to find resources and survive dangers uh, so at its core it's a game based on a board game and it started in 2017 uh, when the board game was still in kickstarter i originally uh, thought that it was a really cool world where like this whole uh, place was full of like aliens that had invaded and robots had uh, were going about being terminators and zombies existed uh, because the z virus had escaped and was like from maybe a lab or something and it was part of the bioweapons used for a war or something like that uh, and so i approached uh, the company rock manor games and i approached mike nade specifically who uh, is there and, and and you know and i said hey like this is a really cool world that you've created would you ever consider making it an RPG? Because this is this would be a great RPG universe. Like people could do whatever they wanted, and game masters could throw, you know, enemies in whenever they needed. Like if people got bored fighting certain kinds of enemies, like they do with other more popular games, you could just you just throw in new enemies. They just they could just be there. Um, 
And he said that sounds like a great idea, but he had no experience with tabletop RPGs. So I said I could, I told him I could make something and see what it looked like. And then it became the project. And now it's a game that we're going to, going to have out here soon. Um, I don't know when you're listening to this, but if it's before the summer of 2020, then, you know, it's not out yet. But if it's after the summer of 2020, it's on a shelf somewhere or on a website. You can go order it and buy it and play it. Uh, but at its core, it sort of seeks to expand on the board game and immerse players in this sort of post-apocalyptic world where players take on the role of survival survivors living in this environment and he've surviving uh, based on their, their abilities to survive the specific apocalypses. So each character that the players play has you know deal is dealing with this world of alien invaders and diseases and mutants and radiation and killer robots and kaiju and supernatural horrors and zombies and whatever all. Uh, but they're doing it after they've survived a specific apocalypse that has a direct influence on the character's skills and knowledge. Now, there are some games where you play, uh, where you have like backgrounds and stuff. And in this game, backgrounds actually ultimately do matter to the character. They don't, they don't just disappear after you've created the character. Um, like an example of this would be something like if your character uh, managed to escape the zombies, he, they're a lot more clever and you know maybe sneakier. Um, because they had to sneak around or if you happen to have crawled out from underneath like a collapsed building uh, you know where you you fell into a chasm and you had to climb your way out you're probably gonna be stronger and better at it or heaven forbid you've lived in the Mad Maxian world where you had to like fight to survive and now you are better at fighting in general or driving or crafting or you you know dealt with robots you're better at hacking or you're an alien abductee and now you you know that they have psychic powers you know how to use their technology and things like that um these do do matter in the end when you have your character um because in the end your characters are roaming together in the wasteland um but like focusing on like what you have to do to survive that wasteland is sort of the core of the game and sometimes that sort of follows the old tropes of like man versus self where you gotta like you know work through your own fears and overcome dangers or maybe or your disease and you've got to overcome it right and and so there's that or maybe you've got to you've got to maintain gear you gotta you gotta find food in this environment so you have to fight the environment so man versus the environment um or heaven forbid you get attacked by an enemy and then it becomes a man versus man classic man versus man storyline um but like you just have to this is the world that you live in you're roaming around dealing with your enemies you're dealing uh with the fact that your gear is breaking down you have to scavenge and find pieces and repair it and craft it and make new stuff uh and like you know it's it's a it's it's a game where everyone works together with their special abilities and they just survive uh, and it's really impossible to survive alone. You could probably do it. You could probably make a good character. And I'm sure someone out there will make a character that could be a solo survivor. Uh, and I'm even writing a solo survivor adventure for new players who want to be interested in finding out more about the game, but maybe can't find a group to play it with. Um, so there are, there are ways to survive solo, but it's going to be better if you have friends, which is sort of where the party comes in, right? Like that's why you have groups of parties. Um, but like it's it's a game where you're des- it's designed to be for people who are resourceful, for people who like to figure out how like solutions to problems, um, and they don't necessarily like to just chop their way through every problem. Maybe they want to craft their way through a problem, or maybe they want to you know just just jump over the problem and run past it. Uh, these are all valid options, um, but it really is a matter of being resourceful, um, and I, and I mean that like quite literally. Uh, you know, like it, gear is a is a heavy component in the game, and 
this game, one of the things that I decided to do was to sort of look at like what what can and should everyone do during a post-apocalyptic world? Like what should they be doing to survive or what can they do to survive? And I wanted to make sure that I created character abilities that sort of reflected that. And some of the core things in a survivor uh, situation, like I said before, is going to be eating, maintaining gear, fighting off enemies. So everyone kind of ends up being like a somewhat somewhere in between the spectrum of like a warrior and a tech character. Um, but like if you have gear, like in, in most games you have gear and, and a lot of games that I play, I end up with gear that I just have in my inventory that I don't use. I just end up just sort of throwing it away. Uh, or never using it. It just sits there taking up space on my character sheet or in the backpack or something. Um, but this game allows you, if the, if the gear you have is not useful to you, and all gear in this game has some use, it does something for you, it gives advantage on something, or it's used for a specific task, which then gives you advantage on something, um, or whatnot. Uh, if it doesn't, if it's not useful to you for whatever reason, you can, you can take it apart and you can reconstitute it into something else. Uh, a perfect example of that is a fishing rod, right? A fishing rod and line may not be tremendously useful for you, though fishing is definitely one of the things you probably want to be able to do uh, because hunting and and, and forging are definitely necessary survival tactics in a post-apocalyptic world but let's say your fishing fishing rod and, and stuff has not been helping you at all so maybe you decide to break that apart and then use those pieces to uh, build a relatively light bow uh, and you know use it for your hunting and so then you've got it uh, to be able to hunt with it. So you take it apart and then you reconstitute and build something else with the parts that you have. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that this game allows you to do. And thanks to feedback from a lot of the playtesters, uh, I was able to create this game where where that was the goal. Like you could be able to survive uh, an apocalypse environment and do all kinds of resourceful stuff. And that's totally what the game expects from you. Uh, but even so, like there's with all the feedback there's a lot of things that i also put into this game that i really wanted to see in a game that i had yet to see or had encountered a few times and didn't notice that it wasn't being capitalized by other games or uh feedback led me to do other things that people wanted to see so ultimately it was made by other gamers who were trying to do things in other games and were sort of frustrated with what they couldn't do or wanted to do and it didn't really work out very well so if you've an R if you're an RPG person, you've probably created a non-traditional character or done something that you or tried to make something that you were uh, wanting to see happen, a support character or or even just like a character who had like a cool ability that wasn't necessarily part of the main focus of the game. Uh, and it didn't really work out for you or it was boring. But in, in this game, everyone does stuff like non-combat stuff like crafting and hunting. Uh, those things matter like having the survival skill is definitely important because it relates specifically to the kind of thing that you do in a post-apocalyptic environment it is it is one of the things with uh how you deal with your limited resources um you have to you have to be able to hunt and forge but or you have to be able to scavenge you have to be able to craft and repair gear that breaks down uh you have to be able to uh, live through fights and you this game doesn't have like magic healing magic's not really a thing so you have to learn how to you know patch people's wounds up and let them get better um, and you have to be able to do that uh so and and combat matters still too like it, i seem to like i think it sounds like i'm i'm sort of focusing on the non-combat aspects of the game because i think those are things that people tend to miss 
uh, when they're playing a lot of more combat-oriented games. But combat matters in this game, too. There's a lot of enemies. They're going to come at you in a lot of different ways, and they basically either want your resources because they're bandits or mutants, or they just generally want you because they're an alien and they want to harvest you for their parts, or they're an, a robot and they just want you dead because they just, they're just they tired of you know human human stuff. Like They... Um, they're going to come at you. And so being a combat character also matters because you, you have to be able to fight off these enemies when they come along. Like You might be able to talk your way out if you're playing like a, a priest or something. You might be able to convince a group of mutants or a group of bandits to like you know back off and leave you alone. And that's super great. That's a wonderful way to handle that. But sometimes push comes to shove and you have to end up pulling a gun on somebody. And that's that's sort of where this world is at in this post survival world. There's, there's many ways to survive and it doesn't really require you to be one type of character it's sort of like a spectrum where you fall on on the two ends of the non-combat combat character and you roam this wasteland with your party learning to survive just so you can eat and scavenge and go through the next day and keep surviving in this bleak environment that allows game masters of this toolbox to create this sort of world that explores the ideas of of like a post-apocalyptic world or like what it means to survive when tech fails and computers are actually your enemies um, and like basic skills are th things that you really need to get through it. Um, so that's that's in a nutshell what Maximum Apocalypse is, um, and the, and the reason why it's it's going to be uh, wonderful when it comes out, and the reason why I'm really happy to see it go so far and to get all the feedback I've gotten from people. Uh, so thank you for letting me have the chance to talk about it. So we just heard from Scott Olis about his new uh, role-playing game, his tabletop role-playing game, uh, Maximum Apocalypse, And um, I'm really excited for it to come out later this year. I think this may be one of the better indie games to come out in 2020 in a time that's, you know, this really is the golden age of uh, independently made uh, tabletop role-playing games. I've been a... a a uh, play tester pretty much from day one and I want to share two things that I really like about this game first of all the world I mean I've played you know end of the world games you know uh, GURPS Y2K before the year 2000 first and second edition Gamma World D20 uh, modern zombies but what I love about this is this is not one end of the world that you survive it's all of them and really it does kind of blend in well together so you know you could be running from zombies trying to escape from them and the only place to hide turns out to be a secret alien base you know you may get zapped by the the time vortex and you're in the middle of two kaiju fighting. Uh, you know, you could be running from mutants, and then on the other end, there's, you know, Mad Max Wasteland Warriors. They really do blend all together, all these different scenarios. And because different player characters of the, of the party makeup are experts on different ones that really leads to some role-playing so you know my priest who 
is an expert uh, on the rapture, you know, he has to pretty much accept, you know, what the zombie expert says or the person that was captured by aliens and escaped. And it gives individual characters a chance to shine, gives GMs much more or many more monsters in their toolbox. And so the fact that it's multiple society ending, not really, I say world ending, but it's really society ending events is a plus. It's not a negative for this. The other thing that I really like about this is I think it's got incredible player character mechanics. Skills, attributes, they're all, you know, D100, you know, two 10-sided dice percentiles. Uh, so it's easy to catch on to. But the thing I really like about the character is you've got basically two careers, a primary one and a minor one. Now, if you want it just to be this incredibly tough soldier or this incredibly, you know, academic, intellectual doctor, you can. You can double up and take the same career twice. But what this gives you is that you can take characters such as a tech or a doctor or a priest and then take a second one that gives them a more combat orientation so you're not left out uh, in the cold there. Now, I know Scott said that it's absolutely, you could run this game non-combat, you know, avoid the zombies and, you know, make your rolls as like trying to stealth rolls or uh, making traps, absolutely per possible. But I think most of us, you know, we want at least a little bit of combat and there's social, there's survival, so there's a lot more aspects of combat. But with this dual system, you can make characters that are not completely hopeless in combat, but still specialize in what you want them to. Now, I'll give you a couple examples. So um, I made a, you know, a, basically a talking character uh, and she backed it up her second career was gunfighter so she could basically when the the talking and the deception and the flirting failed you know she had combat to to back it up i had a, another character who was a soldier scientist combination and in this version of the game we were playing it was close enough to the beginning uh, of the different society ending events that you know he could have been part of it so he was a basically a, uh, gone to college gotten a master's degree in biology uh, pay off his student loans he joined the army became an officer worked on their nuclear biological chemical side his main thing was you know to help decontaminate in case of like a biological or a chemical attack but since he was you know also had a science background he became part of the original program to to uh, fight off the zombies. Then my absolute favorite character in this world is Brother Kane. Uh, and his last name is Kane. His first name is Brother. Uh, he uh, has a female sibling named Sister Kane. Uh, his parents weren't too original when it came to naming. But what he was, he was basically a, a priest, but I backed him up with uh, the Ronin, which is the... Uh, martial arts, the um, melee weapon uh, character. I based them kind of physical and sort of 
background sort of on uh, Paul Bettany's character in uh, the 2011 uh, movie Priest. And, you know, I gave him a uh, huge uh, hammer or a sledgehammer, you know, with the hammer of God. Um, but because he had enough martial and melee skills that I was comfortable enough to give him primarily, you know, talking and thinking and, and theological skills. So I really do like this system. And, and my big thing is characters. We read them in my writing. I'm much better at characters and characterization than, say, storytelling or plot. And role-playing games, too. I'm, I'm famous for my NPCs, but also for my PCs. The other thing is, when I play a game, I don't necessarily care what I play as long as, for me, I want it to be different than what everyone else is playing. You know, so everyone else is playing, you know, half-orc barbarians and elf wizards. Then, you know, I want to be the cleric. Uh, you know, if uh, we're playing uh, Shadowrun and everyone is mage and adepts, well, then I want to be the street samurai. Um, and this gives you enough options that I feel comfortable being able to make a character that is, you know, not a cutoff or not a cookie cutter version of everyone else is using. And that's another thing I like about this dual system. Well, we want to, you know, two characters want to be good at pistols. So they take gunfighter. Well, one takes a doctor and then the other one, you know, takes uh, a soldier. So one was, a, you know, an officer who, you know, trained with pistols because, you know, that was his main thing. And, and the other is, is a doctor who just, you know, was worried about their safety. So they learned to, you know, shoot at the pistol range. Two different characters, but they both at least have somewhere the gunfighter component. Uh, so you can mix and match them. You know, you could be a, a firefighter um, with a gunfighter. You know, he was just a, a, a gun collector or, you know, came from the Old West. So there's so many things, options out there. So I really do love this game's um, character creation system. Uh, and it works out. And you, when you build your characters, you really do build them. Uh, and you go from there and you go, you know, from point A to point B and you choose things and you see them going from a concept to a full-blown character. So I cannot recommend this game high enough. It's a great game. Um, it's a great setting, great characters, and uh, I really suggest you check it out when it comes out around this summer. The board game Maximum Apocalypse is uh, available for sale now. Scott's RPG will be out this summer, and it is looking like it's gonna be one of the uh, better games out there this year. We'll have more information on it in the show links. Well, I hope Dave gets back from wherever uh, dimension he's lost in. Oh, hey, he left a book. The Bannock was hot and deadly, just like Helen Hectate's body. Yeah, this is uh, pretty good. Maybe I should uh, take it with me. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, oh.
Okay. Huh, what was... Everything's changed. What's, what's going on here? Okay, I was in this cave, in the lab, in the underground base, and now I'm... It's a library, but it's not the Illuminati library. This one's even huger, if you can imagine. And it's ornate, and, and all the, the columns here are made out of gold, and, and it's got to be like 50 feet to the roof here. And it's just stuffed, you know, completely with books. You know, there's no, no space between any of these books, all the way from the bottom up, up to the top. <laughs> you know, if I wasn't so nervous about where I am and how I got here, this would be cool. Okay, it's honestly kind of cool no matter what. Wow, look at this, all big, giant, big books. You know, this is where you expect to find the, the Necronomicon or, or Cult de Ghouls or something like that. Not really doubt that they've got a Guy January section here. The, these books, they're like really, really wedged in. Let me see if I can pull one out. Ooh, it, it just slid right out, you know, just no problem at all. Oh, um, okay. So this is a big, giant book, you know, this is the size of a, a family Bible, and, and it looks like its cover's gold. It, it's heavy, so I, I think it might be real gold, and, you know, it's malleable. It's, 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 it's a soft metal. I, I can scratch it. Um, let me, there's no, there, there's nothing written on the outside, so let me just open it up. You know, all these pages, they seem to like old, fancy, you know, paper, and I, I don't, I, I, I can't read this. This is, um, it's just weird lines. It's like some sort of strange alien language. Uh, uh, okay, uh, just just looking, just looking at that writing just made me sick to my stomach, and, and I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really creeped out now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna slide this book back, and okay, um, let's see what we've got here. Okay, let's try this. This one's smaller. It's. The Poor Man and the Lady by Thomas Hardy. Th that book was never published. The, the manuscript was lost. We, we, we don't have... Wow. Let's see what else we've got here. Okay, this this looks like... This looks like a, a, a play script. He, he burnt the only copy of that. It, it was never performed. I'm kind of a literary geek. Pinky always teases me about that. Here, here's a, a, a pamphlet. Socialism in War by George Orwell? He, he didn't get anybody to publish it. There's no copies of this. I mean, he talks about it in his letters, but he, he never published it. Okay, what about this? This is just a little blue cloth-bound cloth bound book. Open it up, and it's written in pencil, and it's, it's, uh, it's written badly handwriting. Okay, May 13th. Sports is stupid. I don't like any sports. Not even kickball. PE is the worst class. I really like Michelle G, but I'm afraid to tell her. If she finds out, she'll tell everybody and the other boys will laugh at me. This, this is my sixth grade journal.
how did how did this get here? What? Okay, I I see something coming down the corridor. There's this big bright light. Like somebody somebody's carrying like a, a huge giant light. It's it's coming around the corner. It's not it's not a light. It's it's this cloaked figure, and he's he's glowing. It just I can't even look at him. He's so bright. It's I sense there is a mortal in the divine solar library. Who dares trespass upon sacred academic ground? I banish thee, rogue, to the dimension from which thee came. <laughs> now that he's gone, I can get back to my reading. Helen Hecate daintily yet athletically ran through the burning building, the flames highlighting her blonde highlights. Oh, oh, oh. wow, this is really good. I, I, I'm back. I'm back in my Dave cave. I'm back in the underground Illuminati base where, where I started from. Oh, well, I just... Hey, somebody stole my book. Wah, 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 wah. Good luck getting your book back, Dave. Hey, uh, if you are interested in a free tour of Portland by our very own Farmer Dave, let us know and check out the links uh, for Scott's brand new RPG, Maximum Apocalypse. Let's see, where was I? Uh, the tight ropes cut into Helen's wrists. Mademoiselle Bikini Kill thought she had the heroine right where she wanted. But then the gorgeous super spy was about to turn the tables on her. Wow, I get why Dave likes this stuff so much. Okay. Okay, for reals now, everyone. For reals, reals. Thank you all for listening to Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. This is produced in my underground secret bunker in Portland, Oregon, where I am hoarding Dintymore beef stew and Rockstar energy drinks and White Owl cigars. Actually, no, not cigars or the beef stew, just the energy drinks and JJ's Bakery uh, 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 fruit pies. So JJ's Bakery, if you're out there, you could sponsor this podcast, Rockstar, whatever, I don't care. Thank you again. You can find all things for this show. Look for Dave's Corner of the Universe. Use Google for that. And you can also Google PGTTCM to find out where this gets produced. Dave's part gets produced over in his, you know, secret Illuminati base over outside, uh, outside of Portland, way outside of Portland. Uh, he has to drive sometime. Anyway, so if you want to help the show, go to... Um, Go to either site and you'll find out a way to help out the show. Look at the show links and the show notes and help those people who help this show. And everyone, I hope you're safe. I hope you're doing well. I hope you have help to help you. And I hope we all get out on the other side of this safe. Uh, Apocalypse RPG, this episode was slated to come out about two weeks ago and was written about probably about a month ago so yeah no we're not making fun of anything and we all hope that you are doing well and best of luck to you all thank you <laughs>